And welcome to G220 Radio. This is Mike. And my microphone went off on me just before I got on air. So hopefully everything is working. I'm showing meters. So that's always a good fun time. So it's at least picking up audio. So like I said, this is Mike. And as you can tell, I am by myself again. If you're watching it on YouTube or Facebook, which we do live at 9 PM every Tuesday. But if you're going to be listening to us on Podbean, you want to catch the audio only version. Um, you wouldn't know because you can't see. So I am alone. Ricky is still on vacation. And so we'll be excited to have him back next week for episode number 553. But this is episode 552. And we're going to be talking about quiet quitting and working for the glory of God. And to think about kind of a more modern movement within American workforce and to try to think about this idea and evaluate it within the understanding of kind of a biblical theology of work. And I think this is important as we think about, and as for many years, the idea of what is work ethic? What is what is a good work ethic? What is that define? How is that defined? How we understand that? Do millennials have a good work ethic or not? And so there's all these ideas about what is kind of the American work ethic and and how all of them fit together. So if I thought this is kind of more relevant topic and to think through it because I do think that quiet quitting has some elements in which we must consider as Christians. If you're on the YouTube, I set up a bowls. Have you heard a poll? Have you heard of quiet quitting before? And so if you can, Answer that. We will keep it up until the end of the show. And just to, to think about this idea of quiet quitting. So if you haven't heard about the term, you may be thinking, what is quiet quitting? Kind of to summarize it, this comes from, um, I'll be kind of referencing it throughout on, and I have a link provided in the description, but Ryan Duffy on a blog called knowable wrote a paper of what, or an article, what is quiet quitting. And he summarizes the view in four points coming from a TikToker called Z Zed Leppin, Leplin, Zad Leplin, something like that. I don't know. And so there's four points about quiet quitting. And the points are, you should quit the idea of going above and beyond. Hustle culture is bad. Work doesn't have to be your life. And your worth as a person shouldn't define your labor. 
So when kind of think of what those arguments say, what they're trying to purvey, quiet quitting isn't an idea of like, I'm just going to quit my job quietly. It is a mindset that you have in your job that you're only kind of doing what is required for an allotted time. And you're not going to work extra and maybe work without pay to do your job. And to kind of push against what would be kind of the the hard the bosses that are working harder even let's just put it let's put it out there an american culture that kind of expects that you will answer emails at night you will work beyond you will clock out and continue to work i had people i knew in the military who would take days off to go into the office so they can do work without going to meetings without being bugged by people they were they were on vacation working there is a very valid kind of point to think about this is what is what is kind of required of business but is there something else that is going on is there something deeper more reflective of kind of the culture in businesses about how we work, where we put our time. Do we need to work on the weekends just to think to stay on all of our projects? And there's a lot that can go into discussing this. When we talk about, as um, Cal Newport has evaluated and talked about and studied as a computer scientist and thinking about working in social media about how email has changed how we work and it's actually making us less productive overall and so there are there are different threads that we can look and see on how to evaluate and we don't have time to do them all and to look at them all but there is something to be said about why do all of a sudden in the last year that you have this rise of quiet quitting and is this something as christians that we should embrace as a movement within the broader commerce within the broader society of business or is this something that we should be cautious of? And to is it is this moving towards what the Bible would say is laziness? And so to to think about this a little bit more, I think I've recalled I can never find the um, quote again. I believe it was in Forbes. It might have been someplace else. But the author was talking about how the Puritan work ethic has destroyed kind of American business and kind of created 
workaholicism because you're to do things for the glory of God and this kind of this sense of duty that you have to work all the time. And I don't know whether that is a true statement or of the Puritans. There probably is some truth in that the Puritans valid valued work and diligence in work. But is there a difference between valuing diligence in our workplace and workaholicism where you're just constantly working for your job or, or whatever that may be. And I think, so as we kind of transgress, transgress, trans, as we go through this topic, as we kind of think about these different areas, we must kind of remember it in being in Proverbs as our kind of side series that we're doing here on GTR, our main series, I guess it's more side now, but kind of as we work through them, we've talked a lot about work and what does it mean to work and the wisdom in working. And so to think about this more, we will kind of wrap this up with a biblical theological discussion on work and how this relates to this idea of quiet quitting. So let's try to understand better now the idea of quiet quitting. So if we take the kind of the four points, the first point is that you should quit the idea of going above and beyond. And to think about kind of the idea of what is my job description? What am I called to do? What did they hire me to do? And so the the quiet quitting movement crowd is, is saying like, look, you didn't hire me to do all these projects outside of my scope. Now, most of the jobs I apply for, there's always that last line of kind of whatever your manager asks you to do. And so technically, if they ask you, it's within your scope. But if you remove that line and just say, these are my job, this is my job description. This is what I do. So I work at a coffee e-commerce company. I am at best jack of all trade, master of none. I oversee kind of our integration connections. I do analysis work and I do some tech stuff on the side. And my job description is very broad, but it's not my job description has grown as I've been there. So this idea of you should quit the idea of going above and beyond is saying, look, I have these tasks and these are, this is my job. No less, no more. That's it. We're not going above and beyond. You're, if you ask me to do something that's not within my job description, I'm not going to do it. And so there's this idea of they're not, in one sense, they're not quitting. They're just not going to go. They're just going to come in and do their job, and then they're going to leave. They don't want any more responsibility. They don't want anything else like that. The second point is the hustle culture is bad. And that's kind of dealing with this idea that the constant grind, the constant deadlines and moving and approaching and everything's 
on a quick deadline. It has to be done now. Should have been done yesterday. I know I'm giving you this today, but that should have been done last week when we didn't even know about it. Like these types of like constant pressure to get things done all the time, one after another. Let's stop. Let's keep hustling. Let's keep moving. And just seeing that and kind of what the main point is that that leads to burnout. That leads to people not wanting to do their job. Again, so part of the idea of quiet quitting is not just, I'm just going to here do my job, but I'm also kind of in this self-care mode. It's about what is best for my, for me and my kind of my emotional state. So that's the kind of the hustle culture is bad in that constant grind. Their third point in here is that work doesn't have to be your life, that our lives are multifaceted and that work isn't the biggest one. It doesn't have to be the biggest one and it shouldn't be the biggest one. The work doesn't, my life doesn't revolve around my job. In this case, they they go around and kind of their positive argument is that kind of um, I'm the center of my life. It's who I am. It's my identity and not my work. I think is kind of how how it's being kind of portrayed. And there's then kind of push again with the long hours that just because I work for you doesn't mean you have a claim for me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, in the military, I don't have that option. When I was in the military, I don't have that option. If they call me and they need me to go, I have to go. There, there's kind of an agreement there that I am – Military 24 hours, seven days a week, no matter what it is. I'm always need, I needed to be ready to go at, in, at a moment's notice. And that's good. That's something that we should honor in the military needs because you don't want people like, well, no, I, I can't do it until tomorrow. Like, it's not going to win a war. When you got to act, you have to act. So, what this idea of quiet quitting is, is that, that I'm more than just a job. Um, my hours need to not revolve around being on job. And they're, again, not to, to, to pass judgment, but there's this, again, this idea of self-care related with it. And that your worth as a person shouldn't be defined by your labors. Like what you are as a person, whether you're an analyst or you're the CEO or COO or CIO, your worth isn't determined by what you do. And so, again, this kind of this pushing away that work isn't the central idea. And this is what managers want. This is what businesses want, that you are 100%, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, completely devoted to the company. And this is the pushback. And I think there's there's valid here, and I don't have the research and haven't done it, to say how do we get to this point that you have this kind of pushback? What And 
where is that? Why is it now? Have a comment about the timing of this question. I think there is, um, kind of this movement. Catherine Miller, my wife, graciously posted. The timing is a good question. I wonder if there's a significant correlation with the pandemic and so many people working from home will work hours and certainly more difficulty to cling to at home. And some of the evidence, some of the stuff I read show that there seems to be a correlation with quiet quitting, wrong button, and kind of the great resurgence or the great regan find the word so I can get it right. The great resignation where people are um, quitting their jobs, not going back. And then also this idea of anti-work has also gained momentum since the pandemic. And so to, to think about even the timing of this comes about in which people have have had to think about themselves, think about the safety, especially with COVID. And if you had underlying issues that could cause um, you to have to have COVID to be more severe for you than others. So there is this kind of correlation with the pandemic and people working from home and having maybe this freedom that they didn't experience before something phys- has kind of changed in our world. And so that's kind of what quiet quitting is about. It's about focusing on me, focusing on what am I, what, what am I called to do at work specifically? What is my job title, job description and to not go above it. And to think about me and how my work relates to me and to kind of push down to this kind of impending movement and hustle of deadlines and work and this constant push. Now, kind of related to this and in a, in a different way, kind of understanding it, it's a newer book. We read it at work together um, to think about it. And I have it here is called Impact Player by Liz Wiseman. And the idea of impact players, uh, the subtitle, How to Take Lead, Play Bigger, and Multiply Your Impact, is dealing with how do we, how does a person go from someone who is really good at their job but takes it to the next level, are able to get things Done. They have an impact in the company. She's they're not just mere contributors, is what she calls these are highly intelligent. They know their job, they do their job, but they're not making impact. And what she's trying to argue for in this book is that there's a certain mindset that impact players have. And why this is relevant in our discussion because this is kind of the opposite side of quiet quitting where quiet quitting is dealing with, Oh, I'm only going to do what 
my job requires me to do no more, no less. Impact players is ones who are trying to change, make changes. They see an opportunity to make something better and they go for it. And they are going beyond. They maybe not have an expertise in that situation, but they still, they see the need, they organize, they try to meet that need. They try to get people that can help with that need and they go after it. And so there's this, so they're going in one sense, they're kind of going above and beyond, but then at a certain point, they kind of know how to back away. They're not always seeking to be in charge or leading. All they're trying to do is to kind of make the changes, make things known, try to even maybe <coughs> kind of push a little bit to expand and to grow and to help out. And what you see is kind of as people think about um, kind of push against, <clears throat> pushing against quiet quitting is that really what these people are doing, so they say, the people who are supporting quiet, quiet quitting, they're actually disadvantaging themselves because the people who are going to move up the people who are going to become their supervisors are going to be the people who go above and beyond their work. They're the ones who are going to, to move. So if you're just kind of doing what you're supposed to do and blending in and just kind of that's how it is, though I do think there is a negative impact to those people in those environments um, for better or for worse, whatever that may be, there is a negative impact on that. And to, so to think about, well, what does, what does quiet quitting, how does that affect a company? How does it affect what they're doing? Cause now you just have all these people just doing their jobs but to grow a business takes innovation, takes change. And it takes people just not doing their job, but going bigger. And so to think about, okay, so is kind of, is that the proper way to think about doing my job, just, just doing it? Or does Liz Wiseman and her impact players in her book, Multiply, which is more geared for managers, but covers kind of the same similar topics, is that, or is there a sense in which we, as the people need to, in order to find their place in the workplace, to be ones who go above and beyond, who find issues and try to fix them? Even if it's outside of their job description, though it may affect them. And so these are kind of right now two competing theories 
within the the worker production type of um, genres of books and so even Ryan Duffy in his article I'm um, talking kind of about against giving arguments against um, quiet quitting. He tries to cover both positive arguments for and against it. So he's trying to balance. He says this, I think this is um, a point to think about. Another point seems to get lost in the debate here. Workers who want to unlock new opportunities don't need to, don't need to impress their bosses. They need to impress their colleagues and subordinates too. And so when you're just doing what is required, there's a sense in which you're do not, you do not move. You do not progress in your job. You get stagnant. And there is this kind of not movement, which in the business world is a big no, like you should be moving. And this is kind of how, and again, they're pushing against this, but this is what they're pushing against. The idea that you are kind of moving and you're growing. And so when we think about, okay, you have quiet quitting on one side and this need to only do what's available to look after myself, to make sure my, my bosses are not abusing me um, to make a profit, kind of in one way. It might be more harsh, but in that way, taking away my time that I have to do other things versus kind of the other side of, hey, you need to be reaching out and growing and finding and going above and beyond. And that's how you and your team is going to succeed in the world of business. And so I think when we think about these ideas, I'm just going to put it out there. I think that we can actually, in some sense, hold to both. That the people on the quiet quitting movement make valid points of previous businesses that have been acknowledged elsewhere. That, unfortunately... If you want to get ahead in the business world, it means you're working more than 40 hours a week. And at times, that those times over 40 hours are non-paid time. It's not like you're making overtime. So you're providing free labor to the company. And that will lead to kind of disastrous um, results, especially for, I mean, parents, they're just not in the home. And to think about what... To think about even that impact of working too much. So I think there's a valid pushback on quiet quitting. 
But hopefully what I'm going to show is that while we can push back on the hustle, we can push back on this in one sense, let's just go us taking us working more time than we're being paid for. I think there's importance there with it. And when, cause, because when we think about it, I mean, here is, I just saw this. So by a song by Harry Chaplin, cats in a crater, cradle. Um, you see this, this idea, um, the, the refrain the, is, or the, um, yeah, the refrain says, and the cat in the crater and the silver spoon, the little boy blue and the man on the moon. When are you coming home, dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then, you know, we'll have a good time then. And it's this kind of this, this refrain in this, this, um, and this song is this father is just absent. He seemed like he's gone. He's working too much. And his son has the same time, just doesn't have the time. The final kind of verse. The, the father's retired. The son's moved away. He goes, I called him up just the other day. I'd said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I can find the time. You see, a new job's a hassle. The kids have the flu, but I'm sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's sure been nice talking to you. And then he goes, as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me he had grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. So if we do not get this work understanding right, it can have impacts on our family. And so to, to think about this now, even, even better to, okay, what is a biblical view of kind of work and rest? What is a view that can hold together the idea that when I'm at work, I work and I work hard and I do what I can for the glory of God. Because Christians, that's what we believe. We believe we labor for the glory of God. And how does whatever time I have left after working, do I, do I have? And to kind of start as we think through this is we're going to start in Genesis one. And obviously there's no place else to start because it is in Genesis one that God ordains work. So God had created everything in six days. So he's just created the an animals. And then verse chapter one, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Jumping down to verse 28 and God blessed them 
And God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the living things that move on earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree that is with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, to everything that creeps in the ground, and everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so... And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Here in Genesis 1, verses 26 through 31, we see that God created man and created him to work. We go to verse or chapter 2, verse 5. When no brush in the field was yet in the land, no small plant in the field had yet sprung up. The Lord God had caused, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain over the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was coming up from the land; it was watering the whole face of the ground. The garden, there was no man. Verse 15, God puts man in the garden to work it and to keep it. And we get this idea when we think about Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, that Adam is to work the ground, to expand the garden. That is what he is called to do. And even kind of think of Dr. James uh, Hamilton and his book, Work and Our Labors in the Lord, which is a small book from the Short Studies in Biblical Theology, talks about how this this connectedness of work, that God created man to work in reflection that God worked. God created in six days everything on the earth. And now he has created man on the sixth day to also work and to create, not out of nothing as God has done, because that is what God does as creator, but that God has given us the things to work and to improve and to subdue and to overtake it. So that when we think about work and when we start to think about there is a right thing about work. Work is good. Work is necessary and work was ordained before the fall and that is important for us to remember that when we work we work because we reflect god's image we reflect who he is because he is a god who created all things in six days but also continually works today by upholding the entire universe. So God continues to work. And God being infinite and all-powerful, he can hold everything together and not grow weary, not grow tired. But as we see in the fall, even the curse, 
By the sweat of your brow you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. Even before that, the thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So part of the effect of the curse is effect on work. Work is harder. It's toilsome. It's burdensome. But it's still ordained by God. I mean, we can go to the Proverbs. And think about, you know, what a slugger is. And to think about what it what brings about a slugger. More recently, chapter 19, verse 24, the slugger buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. This is an image of someone who is so lazy. Instead of burying plants, he buries his hand and he doesn't have enough energy to bring it back to his mouth. Uh, more recently, in chapter 20, verse 4, the sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He, he will seek a harvest and have nothing. I mentioned on that show that the reason why it says autumn, unlike in America where we plant in the spring, the Israelites planted in autumn because that's the beginning of their rainy season. And that's what have been the time to plant and to grow kind of through that time. And to, to think about then this work, the, the sluggard is shown as someone who in the end goes hungry, who doesn't have the fruits of his labor. He doesn't have the means to support himself. He has to, go someplace else. And when we even think about just what it means to work, Proverbs 16.3, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Now, this is probably more general in what we do, but as Christians, we're called to make our vocation committed to the Lord. Commit that work to the Lord, and our plans will be established and to, to go and to do. And I think really what kind of as I think about this topic, Ecclesiastes of all books, I know, vanity of vanity, vaporous of vaporous. It helps us to, to think about this. Because in chapter 3, he talks about work. For example, verse 9. What gain has a worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to children of man to be busy. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in man's heart. Yet so, they cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat, drink, and take pleasure in his toil. This is God's gift 
to man. Here, what does what does the worker gain? And what we see in, I guess, in chapter two is that we can toil and toil and toil, but in the end, it's given to another man. It's given away. And so if we kind of in the modern culture think about all this work, all the hustle and the bustle and all of this work to try to get ahead. There's a sense in which we need to recognize that all of that is vanity. That if we work for the sake of working, it's vaporous. It's here today and gone tomorrow. We have our wealth today, and tomorrow it's given to someone else. And so we need to reframe what we think about work, but to understand, as the author would later say, is that though the striving for work is vaporous, it's here today, gone tomorrow, God has put eternity in our hearts and that we should eat, drink, and take pleasure in our toils and that this is a gift from God to man. I think sometimes we think about Ecclesiastes in this very dark, like everything is vanity. And he uses vanity a lot. Like I understand the perception but it's this, that the author of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, redirects us to, to think about it in a bigger picture, in a bigger light. Yes, if I am working for the sake of working, it is vanity. It is here today. It is gone tomorrow. It's given to someone else. But when I take pleasure and I eat and I drink and I be merry in the life that God has given to us, that is a gift from God. And when we connect that with Genesis 1 and 2 and how we are to subdue and to take over and have dominion and to create, the idea of quiet quitting really is, in one sense, too much focus on me and not on what God has called me to do. So in one sense, we should agree with Liz Wiseman and to say, yes, we need to kind of maybe go beyond, above and beyond and to get things done and to push and to create and to move, especially in white collar jobs where your job of creating and having dominion isn't farming or manufacturing, but with your mind and creating ideas and creating new things and finding new problems to solve. That's how business goes. Maybe trying to solve an old problem in a new way that's more conscious about how this may affect our cult, our, our earth and the toxins that we may release and to think more clearly on even that aspects of our lives. But that God has given us work 
to be enjoyed in. And again, kind of thinking about it, that it's not all about work though. Here, the same God who calls us to work with all of our strength for his glory also calls us to calls us to lives that are defined by cycles of rest. A comment here from again um, from Catherine. And to to think about that work is not everything. Because after Genesis 1, start of Genesis 2, God rested from his labors. He rested. The Jewish law is built upon working six days, resting in worship on the seventh. Work the land for six years, let it rest on the seventh. And this kind of cycle. So the, the hustle and the bustle and the burnout, which is real and psychological and is important to think about, in one sense is solved in a work pattern that God has given to us, that we work and we rest. And that there is maybe at times harder than others to turn our brains off, to put work behind us. As one of my coworkers would say, that is for future your name to worry about. And to, to think about what it means to be in this moment and to work to the glory of God. Because in working hard and working in a way that brings about the glory, not to yourself, but to God, to be one who works hard at their job, even in the lot of time, is one who glorifies God. And I think there is, when you sign the contract to work there, when you agree, yes, I will work here for this amount of pay and these are my hours, there is a sense in which you should protect those. Because your work isn't everything you do. That's what Ecclesiastes warns us about. When we we get to workaholism, we've misplaced what work is. Work is a reflection of God in us. It is good, and we should be doing that. And, and yet God also gave us a pattern in which we rest. And that we take time to in one sense, recreate what recreation. There is this, this rest and recreation that we need. And I say all of this, as I look down, I just realized I forgot to close my Slack out from work. I have two messages waiting for me when I get into work tomorrow. Go ahead and close that out so I don't try to check them out while I'm on the podcast doing the one thing I'm telling people not to do. But to, to think about, so when we think about work and we think about the current culture, there's one sense in which we should see quiet quitting as pushing back in, the, in some of the necessary ways to protect 
the employee's time so that they can devote that time to other responsibilities. I work at a place where my management team are Christians. And this has played out in my life in a, in a very visible way. We're a small business. They don't like to give overtime. But they also never force overtime. So we're coming up working for an e-commerce company. Our big year is coming up here, our big part of the year. Our highest grossing kind of three months, quarter-ish time frame is November, December, and January, the holiday season, the Christmas season. We will be busy, but I will never be forced to work overtime. I can choose to work overtime if I'm asked, but I don't have to. And one of the first things they told me was, we know this is not the only part of your life. And so as long as I have give heads up to my supervisors, I have freedom to arrange a schedule that works out for me and my family. I think in, in talking about it in this way, and I am very blessed. This isn't kind of me showing off. But this shows kind of the difference in the work environment. They don't, they're not expecting me to be slacking at 10 o'clock at night if I'm not working. Now, there may be times where I've been told if I can, they really want me to work late, like changing an entire website. And I think that's where we should see as Christians, both as ones who are kind of at the bottom of the proverbial totem pole or on the top, to think about working this way. Because, I mean, even with the push to a four-day work week, it's all about, well, people are burning out, and studies show that people tend to be more productive when they're not burned out. That, and it's true that um, working eight hours and working 10 hours, though 10 hours you're technically more productive, the productivity between the ten, eighth and 10th hour is a lot lower than the rest of the eight hours. It's dramatically lower, according to some studies that I've read. And to, to think about the burnout is, is real and to be dealt with, but that's because we've, we're not, we have gone so far away from God's word that we haven't considered the right importance. And if I were to, my guess is when the Puritans talked about work, they talked about works in a way that you do what you do what you need to do and a lot of time to do it in and that and that god has also given men and women husbands wives mothers fathers different spheres in which they also must take part of and so yes work isn't everything i do Work doesn't define who I am, 
but I'm also called to subdue and to call. And so I think when we, we fully understand work as Christians, as God intended work to be, that we are to, to labor so that we have food, that we work and we provide, and we make better what we have, that's technology. I mean, let's just think about it. At one point, a shovel and the different types of shovel that's all like that's new that's technology. We might think about it because it's not a computer, it doesn't have a chip or something like that, but at one time that was new technology. And we can look back and we can see how as humans, both those who are Christians and those who are not Christians advance God's calling to subdue and have dominion over the earth. Now, the non-Christians don't think about it in the same way in which, in one sense, we do this for the glory of God, the glory may be praised. And I do think in heaven we will work. That we will keep, because that's who God is. God is a God who works. And so we should think about work differently and to consider how we use our time at work. Are we being faithful to our employers with our time and giving them the most we can give during those allotted times? And if we're feeling and being, I think, just being willing to do what you need to do to satisfy the different areas of your life God has done. I think sometimes, and we don't think about this, is that may require going to a different job where you can, for a season, be able to back off to do what you need to do. And as we mentioned earlier, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. Commit what you do for the glory of God because we're to glorify God in all that we do in our eating, in our drinking, in our work. And God has called us in different vocations to do what he has called us to do in having dominion over the earth. And even Jesus worked in doing what rabbis do, but he also rested. And we can do that too. And I think there is a point in which it's true that Christians should be some of the best employees with just moral integrity and giving their all, knowing that they don't work for their boss, but they work for the glory of God. And, and, and hoping that when these people see our good works, they will praise God for what we are doing. And so that has been our episode of G220 Radio. If you got value out of this, I know we don't say it very often, but share it. I think this is something we should always be thinking about and rethinking about and considering even 
more as things change, culture changes, the ebbs and flows of all these things come about. Join us next week for, I think we're back in Proverbs, but I haven't talked to Ricky in a little bit, so I don't remember. But I think we're back in Proverbs next week. But anyways, if we're not, you'll have a different show. And so you should join us next week, 9 p.m. Eastern on YouTube and Facebook. But you can always catch us on Podbean. Also, it's where we post our audio-only versions. Again, thanks for joining, and God bless.